Welcome to Rethink, a podcast from Skilled Nursing News. I'm your host, Maggie Flynn. The novel coronavirus making its way around the world has rattled the stock market and caused widespread worry about infection. Skilled nursing facilities across the country are on high alert, as are their hospital partners. I caught up with Angie Roberson, the president of the American Case Management Association and the director of case management at Spartanburg Regional Healthcare System in South Carolina to talk about how hospitals are working with SNFs to make sure that the COVID-19 virus doesn't spread. We'd like to thank our podcast sponsor today, Point Click Care. They know financial health is integral to your success and want to help you reach your goals. Visit www.pointclickcare.com to learn how they can help you achieve financial success. All right. I'm joined by Angie Roberson. Angie, thank you so much for making the time to speak with me today about this topic. It's obviously on the minds of many people right now, but particularly for operators in skilled nursing facilities as they try and grapple with this disease that's causing so much worry and so much concern. I really appreciate you making the time today. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. So I wanted to start off by asking you, You work at the American Case Management Association. And for someone who isn't quite as familiar with what a case manager does, can you talk a little bit about the responsibilities that a hospital case manager has, particularly in the situation that we're in with this novel coronavirus? Sure. So I am the president for the American Case Management Association. Um, That's a volunteer role elected by my peers and a director of case management at an acute care um, hospital for an acute care hospital in a hospital system. I have responsibility for several hospitals in our area. But what my staff is um, responsible for, we look after folks who have discharge planning needs who may need equipment arranged when they leave the hospital. They may need to be transitioned to another level of care. Home may not be the next best environment. And so I have a team, nurses and social workers. We work collaboratively with our physicians and with our other members of the multidisciplinary team, our rehab services um, friends, our nursing and uh, together we assess our patients. We identify their um, goals of care. And um, we are looking to um, help patients through their journey through the healthcare system as, you know, in, in many cases, it's something as simple as um, it's a transition back home and it's a connection back to their primary care provider. And in some cases, it's very, very complex. And it's a person who's had, who's probably had, um, who's, who's had an extended stay and they have multiple comorbidities and they're um, in a deconditioned state and may need um, wound care, IV antibiotics, things like that, and they may need care at another um, at another level of care. We oftentimes are referring folks to the skilled nursing facilities, and uh, that's, um, that's a, a transition where we hand off our patients to that next um, that next most appropriate um, provider. So. Can you tell me a bit about what your organization and the members in it have been seeing at that point of transition to the skilled nursing facility and what you're doing differently now that we have this disease that is known to be particularly dangerous for older adults and people with multiple comorbidities? Sure. So it's always our intent to hand off appropriate information to the next provider. And in particular, when we're referring folks to a skilled nursing facility, 
We have our standard information that covers a patient's medical history, the tests and treatments that they've had, the tests and treatments that they need to continue, because our, we always want that patient to um, um, to uh, move to a facility who has the ability to um, provide the needs and the treatments that they need for their continuing care and then to transition them um, oftentimes um, even back um, into the community. And so currently, as we're all dealing with the um, with COVID-19, our nursing facilities are currently responding in a manner to attempt to protect their residents. We all know and understand that the older population is at a much higher risk. Oftentimes, those are the folks who also have um, comorbid conditions. And we also know that because they're living in a, um, a cohorted type environment, that that increases the likelihood of the spread. And so, um, our, locally, our facilities, um, have, have implemented some screening, um, some screening for patients that, are for visitors that are coming to, um, visit the residents of the facility. I think CMS has, has put some recommendations out for the skilled nursing facilities. I've talked to several. Who and they're they're all doing um, a variety of things to screen folks that are entering their buildings to try and um, cut down on the risk of transmission. From a hospital perspective, so far we have in our region that um, I actually work, we've not had any restrictions on transferring patients to facilities at this point. Obviously, we are continuing to. Um, communicate with uh, with facilities that we transfer our patients to most frequently. And I, I expect that if I talk to any of my colleagues across the country, that would be the message, is that the hospital case management teams are in communication with the skilled nursing facilities in their community that they're routinely transitioning folks to. Um, and the two are working together to ensure that, you know, we're identifying the right patients for their facility, as we would always do, but also making sure that um, the facility has all the information they need about that patient before they come. Again, it's, it's a part of our routine workflow and our routine process and that, that communication and that handoff of a patient from the hospital to the skilled nursing facility. Again, I'll stress and emphasize that I think it's it's going to be on a regional level and a local level for hospitals and facilities to be in communication about what's going on in that in the particular facilities and what their response is at that time. We currently, I'm currently aware of the facilities uh, screening visitors that are coming into their buildings upon, and these are recommendations from CMS. But as of today, I've not not gotten information locally of any facilities that are having to hold and decline to take new residents at this time. Clearly, sometimes that happens. We've had situations with the flu and flu outbreaks or other types of infectious diseases that have had outbreaks where facilities have had to have a, a period of pause where they quarantine the building and they don't admit new residents for a period of time. And so we're we're anticipating that we, we will see some of those same types of things if necessary. But the biggest my biggest piece of advice is to keep those lines of communication open with the facilities um, that you do business with most often. Make sure you're communicating and you're um, you're staying you know you're staying in touch so that each of you knows what the other is working with and dealing with on a daily basis. 
You mentioned the flu, and that was something I, I had wanted to ask about whether there's anything, whether there's any similarities or any major differences about how hospitals are looking at the transfer of patients to skilled nursing facilities, uh, given the reports of the outbreaks, because obviously people still will need to go to a skilled nursing facility, like the the flow of patients who just normally go into the hospital and then would eventually transition out to the SNF. That's still happening even with the reports of this illness. So I'm curious if, if there's any thought on the hospital level about the transfer of patients. Is there anything different about how hospitals are handling the discharge of patients to the skilled nursing facility? Or are there any similarities to how you handle situations when it's flu season, for instance? So in, on the hospital side, many of the same protective mechanisms that we have in place when a person presents to our facility, that initial screening, when someone comes in to either an emergency department or um, a physician's office, and, and you've probably experienced this yourself, when you walk in at the door, the very first thing is there's a sign and it says, if you have these symptoms, please put a mask on. Um, and so those, those very same things, um, those very same practices, are being employed when folks present into the the hospital emergency departments or into our um, primary care locations, and so the that obviously takes an extra step. And now they're now they're adding in questions about travel to the other countries that have been identified by CDC, and also have they been exposed to anybody who has traveled or who has had the virus. And so, in many, many ways, some of the practices that we're employing are very similar to the um, to the same types of infection prevention strategies that are used to prevent the spread of the flu, you know, from patient to healthcare worker, with the exception of we don't have a vaccine. Obviously, with the flu vaccine, um, we protect we uh, uh, protect ourselves, you know, and cut down on that risk with the flu vaccine, and we clearly don't have a vaccine. But from the hospital to the skilled nursing facilities. We are, we are operating as we normally would. I'm not sure, I'm not quite sure if your question. So in a, in a period of disaster, for instance, a natural disaster, say from a tornado or a hurricane and situations like that, we often have um, emergency procedures in place where skilled nursing facilities may take on additional patients. That, that they would normally have not taken because of the disaster situation. If, you know, say the hospital were to have a major disaster, there are, um, you know, there are disaster plans in place for people to be moved to different locations. And I'm not quite sure if that's the question you're asking me or if you're asking me the question about how we normally operate during a routine flu season. It is related to the flu season, and I think the bit about the disaster planning is interesting too, but um, mostly what I'm curious about is whether there's new guidelines or tools that case managers are using uh, uh, with regard to the COVID-19 situation or whether it is just the procedures and the policies that would be done in the case of the flu season. I'm just curious if there's any difference in how case managers are looking at skilled nursing facilities or whether there's any questions that they're asking the facilities, basically anything that might be different about how that discharge to a SNF is being handled now that we're in this situation where there's a lot of unknowns. So I will tell you that from our from a case management perspective, 
we're not handling a patient any differently. If there were a patient who had who had been a COVID-19 patient, then obviously that would be in their medical record. And we clearly would not transition that patient to a skilled nursing facility, you know, during their infectious period because we would not want to risk the outbreak at another facility. So really and truthfully, basic infection prevention principles as and communication about a patient and their history but that's a that really is a routine. So we have not stepped outside our normal assessment and referral processes from that perspective. As of today, I'm not hearing reports that facilities are asking us any new or different questions either. I would suspect that they are probably scrutinizing our um when when we send a referral with a referral comes um uh, history and physical information. And so if I were on the skilled nursing side, I probably would be taking a, a little closer look to see, you know, what was documented there and to ensure that, you know, I'm bringing folks in that I'm not bringing folks in that um, are a potential risk. Obviously, that would be the one thing that we would be guarding against would be um, introducing a, a person into a skilled nursing facility who could potentially expose the residents in that facility. We all recognize 100% that our skilled nursing facilities are on high alert and are taking precautions to prevent the spread to their residents due to the high risk on nature of their of their residents that live there. And so our processes are the same, but again, the communication and the extra thought around the infection prevention piece of it is certainly an item that, that I'm sure the facilities are taking a closer look at. And our team, our case managers are ensuring that, you know, our referrals are complete and accurate when we're sending those referrals to those facilities. Gosh, yeah. and the and the importance of the information. I mean, it would always be important, but it's especially important when we when people are still trying to get a handle on how infectious and how and how easily this thing is passed along because it does seem to be passed along quite easily. Absolutely, but again, our normal processes of um, assessment and communication of the patient information during that trans when that referral is being made prior to that transition occurring. And that's that's really standard and that's that's the expectation every day because every day we're transitioning patients from acute care to um, other levels of care that, you know, that we have to be mindful of um, infection prevention practices. And so there's that's a standard every day, you know, that we're following. Uh-huh. And I think really the the last question that I I had from the standpoint of the illness itself and and how hospitals are responding, have you had any reports uh, from case managers who are in locations where there have been confirmed cases and has that changed anything about how they're moving and how they're moving patients or is it still everything you've outlined even in places where the cases where the virus has been confirmed? It sounds like for this illness that the standard infection prevention, like you said, is, is you know, incredibly important. And I'm just curious whether there's been any reports to you from uh, regions of the country that are currently affected by the virus, how hospitals are, are thinking about just that patient population, that transition to the skilled nursing facility. Well, again, it's obviously, um, it's a two-way street between the hospital and the skilled nursing facility. 
And clearly, if a facility has the virus identified in their facility, my experience tells me with flu that those facilities are going to be in a in a quarantine status, and so they're not going to be accepting new patients. So that that's going to be off the table. And then from a um, a transfer perspective of patients who might be in acute care, any patient that's in acute care who is presumed to be infectious, there's obviously going to be, there would not be an introduction of that patient into a SNF population. I mean, you know, there would be the the, follow, the appropriate isolation um, practices would be followed to prevent that spread or that transmission to the, the rest of the population. So I think that's where, the, that's where, that's where you get into the, um, and I, I'm certainly not an infection control practitioner, infection preventionist. Um, I definitely um, am not pretending to be that. But from a case management perspective, you know, we would be working with our infection prevention staff and those teams of physicians to ensure that our patients are being isolated appropriately in care, the care and treatment that they're being provided, um, and that we're not moving them until they're no longer a threat to the other community. Or if they are being moved, you know, they're being, being moved to a place and in a manner that's appropriate for them to continue to be isolated. I think that's um, that's probably what you would, that's what you're going to see and would be seeing um, in in some of the communities uh, where, you know, where cases have been identified. We have had cases identified in South Carolina, which is where I am, um, and, and we have had case, a case identified in our community here locally. That person um, had traveled and is mm-hmm. um, able to self-isolate at home. Um, this is all based on local news that's been put out, so I'm not DHEC has shared this information, so I'm not sharing anything that's confidential. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that case is, um, is following that type of, of a quarantine or isolation. And so I think everybody is um, adhering to the CDC guidance and following the recommendations that are coming out to limit the spread and to isolate folks as appropriate as they are journeying through you know, different areas in the community, you know, identifying them, isolating them, and preventing the spread, in particular for the um, the skilled nursing facility patients. You know, I think that what we're seeing and some of the recommendations that have come down for skilled nursing facilities is that they screen visitors that are entering their buildings. I talked to a nursing home administrator yesterday, and uh, he was sharing with me that they've been given guidance that they should screen visitors but there's not a lot of detail behind the guidance. So they're doing their very best to, um, you know, to uh, limit the visitors that are coming into their building. And the ones that do come in, they're screening to make sure that they're not potentially exposing those residents, you know, when um, unnecessarily or when they could potentially um, be a, a risk to those residents. Now that's not that's not really related to hospitals and transition and folks to skilled nursing facilities, but I think that's some um, those are some of the things that our um our friends in the skilled nursing facilities are doing. Mm-hmm. And as a case manager in the hospital, when we're going to transition somebody to a facility, you know, we can reassure patients and families, you know, that that this facility, you know, is taking the steps in following infection prevention standards. Um, and you can expect that when you um, go to visit, you know, that you're going to be asked to, um, you're going to be screened upon your entry into the building and before you gain access to their patient areas. So uh, I have heard that that is occurring in skilled nursing facilities as um, as kind of their primary, you know, a primary mechanism to try to prevent the, 
the introduction of um, of the virus as much as possible. Yep, that's that is indeed what many of them are doing. There's been quite a few different reports about um, some facilities have had to stop visitors altogether, and others, like you said, are are very uh, drastically, you know, screening and just making sure that they, you know, can catch anyone who might potentially have have an infection. I think, you know, then, then in closing, I guess the only real question that I have is it sounds like many of this, much of this is just is following infection control and all of these things are things that skilled nursing facilities would know. But I was curious if you just had any um, advice for skilled nursing facilities in terms of how, you know, they take in patients and uh, how they should be thinking about taking in patients as they come out of the hospital, whether there's anything that's different or whether it's to follow the best practices and the guidelines that they already know? I think we know our practices. I think our skilled nursing facilities know what they do and they know what they do well. I think it's important that we're communicating between hospital and skilled nursing facility and that we're we're keeping each other in the loop and abreast on what's going on in each of our buildings, that we're following our standard processes and procedures and we're following those infection prevention strategies that are in place and that we already know exist. And then, of course, we're all watching, you know, the CDC and we're all paying attention to what comes out from CDC and our local um, departments of health and environmental controls that are, you know, putting information out about our local areas. So I think it's important that we stay abreast and um, we stay knowledgeable about what's going on and that we can we contribute as healthcare professionals um, reminding the public that we should wash our hands we should stay home when we're sick. You know, if we followed those things all the time, we would cut down on the spread of um, of infections every day. But certainly, um, right now, that's um, those are the things that uh, that we're all hearing and we're all being told. And so, I think that's what we all should be. Um, we should be very vigilant in our practice today. I was thinking about that, how reading many of the guidelines that are just best practices for preventing the spread of this virus, it made me think about how easily germs can spread in ways that I definitely had not been thinking about them before. I do think sometimes we forget that on a routine basis that, you know, we spread germs um, in the things that we pass on and spread um, to each other, you know, on a daily basis. And I, I go back to the flu because, um, you know, we... Uh, you know, we know that the flu, um, we know the statistics around the flu. And so, um, and we know that we should stay home when we're sick. You know, we should wash our hands. We know we should take the flu vaccine. And so I, I think that um, practicing the things that we know are critically important. You know, good hygiene, avoid those handshakes, um, you know, and passing the germs from, uh-huh. from one to the next, keeping your hands away from your eyes, nose, and mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. And sometimes that's easier said than done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But um, but I think I think those are the things that um, at the community level take us far. And as far as hospitals and skilled nursing facilities, keep the lines of communication open um, with your in in your networks and and in your region. You know, talk to each other, share information back and forth, so that it, so that you know what's going on. The hospital case managers certainly can help prepare uh, patients and um, their loved ones for what to expect when they get to the facility when we know you know that the facility has some has some additional screenings in place right now things like that and we certainly want to know if our facilities are experiencing situations that are going to cause them to um, uh, to have to go into a quarantine status and not accept patients mm-hmm. you know 
we want to know that so that, you know, we're not bombarding them with, with additional work of reviewing patients that's not appropriate, things like that. But so I, I think the open communication is, um, is pretty critical for us right now. Gotcha. Well, Angie, thank you so much for making the time. I know everyone in the healthcare system is incredibly busy right now. So I really appreciate your help and your time today and just walking me through this. And uh, I think our listeners will appreciate it too. Thank you, Maggie. I hope you have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And for more news and insights in the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Maggie Flynn, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.